0: Welcome into Inside the Pylon, the podcast. We have a special for you today. This is not our regular weekly podcast that we usually do, and the reason for that is that we're actually joined by a special guest that we felt was worthy of a little bit of extra time, and so first I'd like to welcome in my co-host who, as always, is joining me, and that is Mark Schofield from InsideThePylon.com. Mark, how are we doing today?
1: Good. How are you, Mr. Zona? Happy birthday, my friend.
0: Thank you, sir. It was a phenomenal birthday, moving all the way to uh, 29 years of age. I am certainly, I, I have the hair of a 60 year old at this point, but I like to think that I still have the uh, enthusiasm of a uh, little kid. So hopefully that balances me out to where I am.
1: I think it does. You, you, you're young in heart, man. Young at heart.
0: That's all that we try to do, and uh, we are now joined by our guest for the day, and it is uh author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can view the Rookie Scouting Portfolio at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And, Matt, appreciate you coming on today.
2: Hey, man, my pleasure, and happy birthday yesterday.
0: Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And, and Matt, I know uh, a lot of our uh, readers and listeners are pretty familiar with your work, but for those who aren't, just give a quick little, uh, you know, little elevator pitch—thirty, sixty seconds. What's the general overview of what you put together with the rookie scouting portfolio?
2: Rookie scouting portfolio is a is really a combination of a magazine draft guide and a showing of of my work on really uh, a high number of skill prospects who are entering the NFL draft: quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I use my own process. This is based on. Um, really modeled after a best practice process used for um, monitoring performance in other industries and modeled that towards um, really developing a, a tool that will continue to enhance my ability to evaluate um, football talent at those positions. So I provide what's really a you know 200-page um, draft guide magazine-style formation of profiles, rankings but also how i arrived at those rankings and a look at the nfl draft in itself when it comes to those positions very in-depth look at each of those players and their their traits and different types of talents and then i break it all down in a way for readers to see my work which includes the checklist i use the grading system i use um play-by-play notes that i took um for every game that i watched with players definitions that that are in a glossary for, you know, for how I grade each particular criteria point on these position specific checklists. So I show all my math. And so this 200 page magazine up front turns out also to be what is an 1100 to 1400 page document. So people can see really everything that goes into it. I don't expect people to read most of it. They generally read the you know the, the the draft guide at the front, but they feel good knowing about the process that they can refer to at any time for transparency in the back of it.
0: So this is pretty much something you put together in a, in like an afternoon, is what you're saying?
2: Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm I I just you know I just whip that thing out. Yeah, just like this. Lucy I saw the other night she you know she 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 got kicked in the stomach with some drug in her intestines and suddenly be able to use 100% of her brain capacity you know <laughs> in, in a perfect world when I'm asleep yeah I'm sure that that's exactly how it works
0: absolutely now I know Mark is uh one of the big readers of your uh, of your work and I know he's got a couple questions for you
1: yeah Matt I mean there's so much that you can get out of the rsp and i love you know how you put it together especially how you show your work but one of the things that i really like that you do is when the draft is over and the lights go off at radio city music hall your work is just beginning because you also put out what you call the post-draft rsp where you look at where these players landed where they were drafted and how they might fit in the scheme sense as they transition to the NFL. Why do you do that, and why do you think that's important as part of your process?
2: Well, I mean, when I first started doing this, guys, I was really a fantasy writer, first and foremost. So I I wrote for a fantasy site and wrote for a couple of magazines, and I felt like that what I was really – Trying to do it first was market this towards fantasy owners back in two thousand five, two thousand six, when I um, started up this process. And I, and as I continued to write, um, write the RSP, I found that having the having the context of fit was helpful to at least fantasy owners to give them kind of an idea of a starting point for rankings and kind of an update that wasn't just based purely on talent because. As we know, and I'm sure you've talked with other, you know, guests who have come from the scouting community or know people in the scouting community, um, all skill positions especially can be very scheme dependent on how they are rated by NFL organizations. And for instance, wide receivers, I'm told, have the greatest variety of um, draft grades because of scheme fit based on, you know, their skills and physical traits. And you can look at a player like Jeremy Gallen, who was a, you know, a, a Pat's, um, signee. Jeremy Gallen had a second round grade by a lot of scouts, but he also had an undrafted grade by a lot of scouts. And it's, and it's one of those things that where he hasn't been able to stay healthy to even really, um, stick with a roster during the off season enough to prove himself yet. But it's, it's the type of situation where that's common with a lot of players in terms of that variation of grade. So, You know, to me, scheme is less important as fitting the scheme to the talent that you have. But teams that, you know, generally have a scheme in place. And so they at the same time, they have to backfill their their roster with talent through the draft to to match what they're trying to do or junk the scheme that they have and say these talents that we're picking right here are going to be seminal, you know, fundamental players foundational players to what we do that we're going to change around our scheme because of them
1: yeah one of the we actually get a a chance to kind of look at how this will play out this year one of the um players that you were kind of worried about in your last version of the post-draft rsp was marcus Mariota, the quarterback in tennessee um you were rightfully concerned about how he might transition to the nfl given the offense he was coming into uh with coach Wisenhunt. now We've got four games of him, NFL-wise. Have you seen things in his tape that make you maybe hopeful about how his transition might go, or do you still have those concerns?
2: Oh, I definitely have some concerns, but I'm far more hopeful than I was because Wiz and Hunt's scheme was, was known as being one of the more complex schemes, even for veterans in the league. But it's very clear that he's met Mariota a good bit of the way, to make this offense an environment that was an easier transition for Mariota in the NFL, there's a lot more shorter drops and quick throws. There's a lot, there's read option looks in there. They've even used some of the Oregon plays or influence, use plays that are influenced heavily from what Oregon did to to play to Mariota's strengths. And when you watch a lot of his games, especially the first couple. He had very few drops that were beyond a three step drop, if even from center in the first place um when he had three or five step drops from center, usually they were um coinciding with play action and they they weren't a lot of you know there weren't a lot of them. He wasn't asked to make um what would you would say are traditional n f l quarterback throws that were on a demanding level still didn't mean that he had it easy um I mean he still had to deal with the speed pace of the game and the athletes in this you know in the NFL and still be precise with the throws and reads and understand all the calls he had to make and I think that he did a good job with that he's shown the ability even with some of these with the smaller portion of these isolated 3 5 step drops um and drops from center that he's been able to move around the pocket and find the open man or show some patience and hit somebody with throws downfield. He hasn't made a lot of throws downfield, but when he has, he's made some fairly good, um, throws and some good decisions. But at the same time, when he has been tested and has had to work outside the structure of the play, he's had moments where he's gotten away with, um, plays where that he's avoided errors that really should have happened. I mean, he's avoided right. interceptions that should have been picked sixes. He's thrown deep balls that should have been intercepted. Um, he's had players drop interceptions on a, you, you know, on him. He's been sacked numerous times and been, and fumbled the ball. So he's not perfect, but because the offense has done the, the offense and the coaching system has done such a good job of really working with him to start him at a comfort level that, that isn't as demanding and is testing defenses to try and stop that. He's been very good thus far. What I'm waiting to see are defenses that can stop the run, that can get pressure very fast up the middle, and are very good also at dropping and understanding those you know, shallow coverages and testing Mariota a little bit more. And I think usually teams when they scout, it takes, you know, four to five weeks for them really to they tend to be, they say, four to five weeks behind the times with pro scouting. So it, it, there's usually that kind of lag. So we're entering this area of the season where for the next three to five weeks, I think Mariota is going to get tested um, a little bit more, and we may see teams that have some of the answers to the test against him and see if he can adjust to what they're going
0: to provide. Matt, when you're looking at a guy like Mariota, and you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously, look, he's had some passes that he, he's thrown that should have been picked off that weren't. He's had others that should have been bad passes that turned into completions. Are you are you looking at those on a play by play basis in terms of grading plus or minus for every player? or is this something where you're more looking at the process behind it and whether or not his skill set is simply translating?
2: Oh, I'm totally about process. The, to me, the process is more important than the end result at the time um, in an isolated game or an isolated play. Um, to me, it's about just looking at, and I, that's what I do with the RSP really, is it's I'm focused on, you know, I, I, do, I give a grade, but it's more about the process of what I see, whether that can improve, and, you know, whether there's potential for that player to be able to learn and, and, and develop in a, you know, in a capacity where they become better and that's embedded into my, into how I evaluate. So when I'm looking at Mariota right now as an NFL player, you know, I don't grade formally in that respect, but I'm looking at areas where that he's, you know, having plays that are unsuccessful, whether they are attributable to him attributable to someone else on the team, And whether these are things that he can learn from or whether these are things also that maybe um, I still have more questions with. So I look at Mario, I look at any quarterback right now who's a rookie as an incomplete evaluation for the season. And to me, the phase begins with how are they doing now? What could they have done better? Um, What are are opponents going to try and throw at them? And then how are they going to respond to that? over the course of 16 games. So I like what I see thus far. I think that, you know, a, w- the worst-case scenario for me was that his downside would be an Alex Smith task-oriented type of player who was always going for who'd always go for the checkdown, who had mobility but wasn't necessarily unbelievably creative or aggressive and and maybe end up being a little bit too robotic as a player where he does everything right in theory, but when you do that it leads to a check down. And I think that what we're seeing with Mariota right now is we're seeing evidence that he might not be as um as much of that apple polisher quarterback coach student that maybe Alex Smith can be, um, and that he may have a little bit more aggressiveness to him and he and he doesn't seem overwhelmed. So that's a to me, that's a good case right now, and it's, and it's hard to compare apples to apples because there really aren't apples to apples when it comes to each individual scheme. I mean, you look at Jameis Winston, and you'd say that Jameis Winston's having a worse rookie season on the surface, but at the same time, it's a deal where he's making a lot more five-step drops from center, he's dealing with pressure in his face a lot more often, and then he's still having to make throws that are um, – of higher difficulty from a, from a placement standpoint. And he's often succeeding, but having receivers drop passes left and right. And while his completion percentage and touchdowns or interception ratio might be a lot lower and he's making more mistakes, the demands put on him are far more coinciding with the traditional quarterback system, which has often required quarterbacks to develop over a longer period of time. And you kind of expect that, that these errors to be built into the process.
1: Matt, you just mentioned the phrase uh, player comparisons, player comps, and that's something that got a little bit of play recently on Twitter. Our friend Dan Hatman kind of, you know, shared some thoughts on how the player evaluation process could be tweaked or could be done better in terms of player comparisons. And he put out one tweet, for example, that was Jared Goff's comparison is. Jared Goff. That's who he is. Now in the RSP, you do some of that, but you do it with a twist where you don't compare player A to player B, but you look more at the player, the draft prospects traits and then say, you know, he does this like one player. He does this like another player, and You kind of build a more holistic approach to player comparisons. Do you agree with Dan that we could, you know, in the people in the evaluation process could do this better?
2: Oh yeah, I absolutely do agree with him about that. And I understand Dan's point too and I like it. It makes me laugh when he says, you know, Jared Goff is Jared Goff, he's nobody else and that's true. Um but at the same time, if you're trying to communicate on Twitter in 140 characters and look, I am I'm selling what I do. I sell my work and I'm, you know, and I try to make a living doing this. So as a result of that, I also have to balance my idealism of what I think things should be and how they should be with the realism of how fans are and how readers are. And right. while I want to continue to educate people, and and I certainly do that by being as transparent as I can be and say, look, I know that most of you aren't going to read 1,400 pages, especially when a lot of the notes I take – uh, you know, aren't, aren't really that readable in a, in a pleasurable way. Um, but I'm just showing it to you. So you understand that me who was not, that I'm not a former football player in the NFL or former scout in the NFL, but I can give you some insurance and transparency that I do the hard work and have a good process that has been, you know, fairly um, well proven over time. And so it's the same thing with comps to me. I hate, I hate comps in a lot of ways, but I also feel like that if I'm going to do it, at least be able to say it's a blend of things and it's not based on talent. It's based on things that look similar because it's like you can, you know, you get compared to your parents all the time. You know, I'm sure your family looks at you and go, well, your nose looks just like your dad and the way you walk looks like your mom and the way you say this word sounds like your aunt you know, Sally or whatever's going on, but they do it in a, it's a mishmash. It's a kind of a mash up of, of, of a total of things. And I think that's just a part of expectation of society. So if you can say, look, I'm not comparing one-to-one and saying, you know, Jared Goff is Aaron Rodgers, but I'm saying that maybe his throwing motion or his gait or his decision making shows things like that. Well, some people are going to take that simplistically, but that's not my fault if I'm if I'm going to go to the paints to say here's how I'm doing that.
1: Right. And I I think that the approach that you kind of take with it is just a better approach and it it educates the reader more holistically as to what this player is actually capable of. I mean, you know, I did comps player comps last year and you know, it was a frustrating process because you you obviously you can take a lazy approach and say, "Oh, you know, I'm I made the Chris Bonner Ben Roethlisberger comparison, and it maybe it kind of fit, but it wasn't as good as it probably could have been, which is why I like the approach you take much more.
2: I appreciate that, and it's it's funny because I wish I could figure out a way that I could do like an X, Y, and Z axis that would actually make sense for someone visually that would be intuitive without them having to have like a calculus tree or remember their, their trigonometry classes or whatever, and look at it and go instantly, ah, I see exactly what, What he's thinking about here, but I haven't quite figured that out yet, and I don't know if I ever will. So maybe my brother, the math genius, will help me out one
1: day. Yeah, I I won't be. Maybe Chuck's better with numbers than I am.
0: Yeah, uh, we're we're developing a uh, a new product. Actually, it's it's called Calculus for Football. So it's going to focus exactly on what you talked about, and uh, it's been in development for years now. Still not sure when I'm going to release it, but I'm I'm getting close. (laughs) I think.
2: There you go. That's good. Well, you know my. My my brother, the Harvard Ph.D., um, you know, I could ask him a few things about stuff, but then when I asked him about, you know, spark scores and showed him some info lately, he's like, you know, they, they're they really not quite as close to it as they say they've re-engineered it to be. And then he goes into a long treatise on what that is, and, and then my eyes roll up in the back of my head.
0: Do they um, even allow so, Harvard people on Twitter?
2: You know, they don't. I don't think they do. You know, it's um, – I, I think they. I, I don't really know. I'm probably gonna have some Harvard people mad at me, but if, as long as it's just my brother, that's okay.
0: It's, look, I'm a Dartmouth guy, so I need to take every dig at Harvard that I can. So it's 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 a normal thing for me. But Matt, I think one other question that I have is when you talk about this process that you're going through, and specifically with regards to comps, is it, are you simply saying, is it? And I guess what I'm trying to get across, obviously, you can compare someone to, you know, Aaron Rodgers in terms of throwing motion, and uh, you can compare someone to. Then you mentioned gate. Maybe someone has Tom Brady's gate and isn't particularly quick. But in terms of overall package, then you still are saying, look, I'm looking at this from a trait-based perspective. I don't want to be getting into that macro when it's all said and done. You really do want to still focus on the individual player.
2: Yes. I mean, for the most part, that's very true. There may be some players that I like their talent enough that I could say, look, player X could have a career that is very similar to player Y if he learns these things because Mm -hmm. he does, you know, traits A, B, and C and skills, D, E, and F, very similar to that player. But I go into that kind of detail when I, as an explanation. Yep. It's never too soon to
1: start talking about the next draft and Matt I know your process is it's getting underway here I know for some positions like quarterbacks you don't really dig into the film until maybe January or so but in the early exposure you've had to some of the next crop of players are there any guys that you're excited about that you've seen so far
2: Yeah I mean absolutely and it's and I get excited about players that may not actually be like great NFL talents um or great NFL players but there's something that I like about the way that they perform. Um, Kenneth Dixon was a player that I got excited about watching, and there's a good group of um, crew of running backs in this draft. It seems like I mean there's some there's some kind of big power backs or backs who potentially could be nice power backs um, because of their size and their strength, um, and they have decent burst. But Kenneth Dixon, to me, the Louisiana Tech guy, he's you know, he's not a huge guy. He's like 2'10", maybe. Um, and I and I watched him with Dan Hatman in the RSP film room, which is a show we do, and that, Mark, you've been a guest on. We did a wonderful one on Carson Wentz recently. But we did one on, on uh, Dixon against Oklahoma, where he averaged 2.6 yards a carry in that game, and they were getting blown out. And you just never saw this guy... Um, relinquish any effort i mean his his effort was sustained throughout the entire game he showed skill as a receiver he finished very strong he had agility you saw good decision making as a runner even when Things didn't exactly go as planned with the blocking scheme. You also saw him even interact on the sidelines with his head coach, showing him what the problem was and trying to work on it in a way that was constructive. And you could see Skip Holtz just kind of looking at his running back with a mix of like constructive thankfulness that this was happening and then afterwards with kind of admiration that this kid was like talking with him about this in the heat of the moment um, in the way that he was. And it just kind of showed you a lot of different things about what this guy has to offer. And I like him as an all-around player who should help out an NFL team. Um, Josh Doxson was a player, a wide receiver at TCU. Who I liked his feel for the game. Um, I like the way that he sets up routes, um, shows some skill with being able to come back and work with a quarterback, um, ability to adjust to the football in the air. Um, a lot of nice traits there that, that remind me of... He, you know, a player in some respects, I saw some of those similar traits from a player like Marvin Jones, though I think Marvin Jones has a little bit more speed and um, and and is and maybe a little bit more athletic after the catch. Um, but those are two players that stood out. I liked what I saw from Connor Cook's game um, and then Laquan Treadwell, the wide receiver from Ole, Ole Miss. Both of these players I felt like have, you know, Cook to me shows a great deal of confidence. In his, you know, in his arm and in his accuracy, and I like some of the things that he displays with his footwork, and um, the ability to kind of make quick decisions, and then just have the confidence to rip it and let it loose, even when his feet aren't perfect. Um, Car- Carson Wentz, watching with you was really a lot of fun. When I mean, yeah, we had, right. in that, yeah, I mean in that show where we where we looked in that fourth quarter of that championship game where he had learned from a mistake that he made that could have been a near fatal error for that team and then came back on that drive to win it for them um showed you a lot about his mental process and understanding the feel for the game and he's got the size he's got the yeah. arm he's got the mobility um you know there was a, there were a lot of good things that we saw from him so there there's an exciting crop of players that I you know, that I certainly have enjoyed watching thus far.
1: Yeah, and, you know, obviously, you know, from what we did on Carson Wentz, you can tell that I'm a fan of his, but I'm also a fan of Connor Cook, and you mentioned him. You just had uh, quarterbacks coach Will Hewitt on to uh, break down that game against Oregon, and there was a play that kind of stood out to me, that got you guys excited was it was just a simple slant route that he threw, and Oregon dropped that backside defensive end kind of under that slant route. You guys get really excited when Cook kind of hunt in there and just waited for that route to clear. What is that? What did that kind of indicate to you and the decision making and the process and speed from Connor Cook?
2: It, it, it indicated a. Lo- it indicated to me that he really understood his scheme, understood that he wasn't just a robotic player and it was in combination with a number of other plays that he threw. There was a, there was a third down route I believe, or that he had kind of a concept where the one receiver was running the hook and the other one was running the go or a curl go concept. And he could have taken the curl for the first down, but he immediately saw the go open and just really fit that ball over the, over the shallow defenders and under the safety or over and over the safety for a big play that got into the red area. Um, and it was a perfect throw and it was a daring throw. And so you combine that play, you combine some of the plays where he had to make quick throws off of, you know, five step drops and just stick his feet and deliver it. And as soon as his feet stuck, even if those feet weren't in the ground perfect and still make an accurate play that He could have the urgency to make a quick decision and stick his feet and do that. But he also had, with that play, that slant you described, the ability to show patience and not just be fire, you know, stick it and fire it. Because Ryan Mallett, as we saw two weeks ago, had, you know, he's got the great arm and he loved, you know, against Atlanta. He was just trying to throw holes through his receivers and not showing that patience and ability to 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 really throw to the ball throw the ball to his receivers with any context of what was going on in front of him it was just more like I got to drop this amount and get rid of this ball at this time I'm not really thinking about what's going on in front of me and whether I can lead them or whether I can place the ball or whether I can wait just a little bit longer to to make this a better play I just got to get the ball out and and hopefully he'll just make the play and it's his responsibility to do what get the catch the ball wherever it is within his general area. I mean, he may not intentionally be thinking that way, but that's how the behavior looks to someone like me when I watch that. Whereas with Cook, you see someone going, how do I make my teammates better through my play? Right.
1: Um, I know we get time for one last little quick segment, Matt. I can't let you escape without talking to you about one player in particular that we both loved. That we both loved coming out last year. You had a a great little Uh, statement you wrote about him you said assuming he knew the scheme inside and out if this player kidnapped Amari Cooper and replaced him in the Alabama offense would anybody notice any difference and I went down I saw him in person I went to his pro day and that's William and Mary wide receiver Trey McBride I was really high on him and then he fell and he fell and he fell and now he's on the Tennessee Titans practice squad is this an example of a player that in the evaluation process, did, did I miss something? Did we miss something on him? Or is it just he just, for whatever reason, fell, and now are you hopeful that maybe he cracks a, a 53-man roster someday or not?
2: Right. And I would say that we weren't alone. Daniel Jeremiah, all draft long, was talking about um, throughout, the, throughout the televised um, process, talking on NFL Network, that um, how much he liked Trey McBride and how he surprised McBride slipped. <laughs> draft so someone who is connected to teams as a media member and a former scout um who as as daniel jeremiah felt similar to we did so now all three of us could have been very wrong about mcbride and maybe didn't know something about him i heard rumors that maybe he wasn't um you know that he wasn't didn't, wasn't a great personality fit for some teams, and people didn't see him, you know, maybe they felt that there were some issues in terms of maturity. I don't know about any of that. What I read about him sounds like a guy who's a product of a great family environment and, right. um, you know, who was who turned out an opportunity to go to an I, another Ivy League school, I believe it was Harvard, um, to, to go play football, William & Mary. Um, so what I see is really... There's, there's three possibilities here, and it's it's about saying we need more time to determine that. One is either, A, there was some sort of personality character um, maturity issue that may require a little bit more growth from him that we don't know about. B, it's that he was a late-round pick because he went to a small school, and, and teams tend to have that kind of um, bias because with smaller schools that may not have established programs, and so as a result, he's going to have a lower draft status and lower draft status means fewer opportunities to prove oneself, especially when you you know when you acquire free agents um, who are wide receivers and high draft picks um, like Doriel Green Beckham. and you still have a number one draft pick like Justin Hunter um, in, in the mix there. So you know, fewer reps, lower draft status. The fact that he even made the practice squad is probably a good sign to me that there may be more to come with him, and they want to see what they have. Um, and they just felt like that he wasn't the priority, but he flashed enough that they felt like he was worth hanging on to. So I'm still optimistic, and because I mean, we look at we we look at players all the time who bounce around. I mean, Deion Lewis. You know, certainly just signed right. a two-year contract with the Patriots. Yep. but And he was a player that Dave Wanstead said at Pittsburgh, I watched one play of him in high school and turned off the projector and said, we need to offer this guy a scholarship. Now, right. I'm not recommending that as a scouting process, <laughs> but it just tells you, you know, that that he knew this guy was good and he happened to be right in this instance. And Dion Lewis was a very good player and showed a lot of good things um, with multiple teams, but never really got a full shot at it because he was a late-round pick. And now look what's going on with him. And we could talk about Joyke Bell. We could talk about Priest Holmes. We could talk about a number of players who fit that. And I think that Trey McBride still has a chance to show that.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. We'll have you on a little bit later on, maybe this year, maybe early next year, and we'll dig into a little bit of that. Uh, unfortunately, we're just about out of time, so i got, I got to really thank you, though, for coming on with us today.
2: Hey, man, it was my pleasure. I always enjoy it. You guys have a great site. It's fun to link to your stuff when I have a chance and put it on Twitter. And, you know, I look forward to having more of you guys on the RSP Film Room in the future, too, and and just being a part of this show when, when you have time.
0: Sounds great, Matt. We appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And certainly we'll be checking in with you a little bit later on, all right?
2: Hey, you too, fellas. Take care, Mark. Thanks, Matt.
1: Take care.
0: And, right. and if you do want to go and check out some of Matt's work, again, you can see it at MattWaldmanRSP.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Matt Waldman. And uh, certainly it is some great work that he does there. Uh, Mark, we do unfortunately have to just about wrap up, though. Any, uh, any last words, any last things you want to say?
1: No, it's just, just, you know, it's it's Matt does tremendous work with the RSP um, every year. I highly recommend it. I get it, you know, pretty much every year and dig into it. Don't, like he says, I don't read all, you know, 100, you know, 1,100 pages of it, but he shows his work. It's a great product that I highly recommend it, and it's always great to have him on and talk football.
0: Definitely. Until next time, Chuck's out and Mark Schofield. We will see you later on on ITP, the podcast.